welcome to another edition of Not Your Father's Data Center. I'm your host, Raymond Hawkins, and we are recording today on Thursday, June the 17th to give you some perspective. Uh, we are The world continues to climb out of the pandemic and things looking better. I uh, got to ride in my Uber today without a mask. My driver said, hey, I'm fully vaccinated. Are you? Let's uh, ride without masks. So things are looking up. Um, today, we are joined by the founder and CEO of Submer, Daniel Pope, out of Barcelona, Spain. Daniel, welcome today to the podcast, and we're so grateful for you joining us. Thank you, Raymond. It's a pleasure. So, Daniel, I got to tell you, that of uh, we talk about some unique and interesting things here on the podcast. Um, talking about dunking my servers in liquid is not one I ever thought we'd cover. Um, uh, talk about a little bit of outside of the box thinking that is that is different, uh, uh, and uh, anxious to hear how this works and uh, how in the world uh, for, for my entire career we've been worried about getting liquids on our servers and how that could uh, ruin our data center. And very anxious about where the plumbing works and what we uh, use for fire suppression and uh, always liquids and servers have always been bad. So fascinated to hear this story. But before, before we get into how we uh, dunk servers and liquid and keep them running, would love to hear a little bit about you. Where, where are you from, grew up, uh, maybe a little bit of work history and, and how you ended up uh, with a British accent in Barcelona. Absolutely. Thanks, Raymond. Yeah, so maybe a little bit about myself then. Um... Daniel Pope, at the I'm a I was a professional rower, but one of the started at a really young age rowing um, professionally, um, and uh, I guess that's the kind of discipline you need in a data center, right? So the next thing I actually did, apart from rowing, was uh, start a data center business at a really young age. At the age of 16, I switched on a server in my bedroom and started developing a little website and providing um, web web hosting and email services um, on that server. Now, that was back in 1999, and that very quickly, um, with that dot-com boom, uh, grew into a pretty large business. I ended up with more than 20,000 servers. Um, not in my bedroom. Of course, my parents chucked me out by then. When I was going to say, that's a big bedroom, board. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, we we went through the process of building, uh, I think, four different facilities on that journey. Um, we just couldn't believe the scale that things were, were getting to. Um, and uh, that's that's the journey where uh, I, I became an expert, I guess, in data center design and operations after building four of them. Um, and one of the biggest challenges that we always had in the data center was cooling and how to support the next wave of equipment that was being deployed back then. Um, I guess looking at really low densities in in the racks, probably in the range of, um, I'd say five to seven kilowatts, most probably. Um, that didn't change. I sold my business in 2009 and I was still in the range of seven kilowatts per rack. Now, it was only in 2015 when we realized that a new challenge was um, going to get to the data center floor, which was GPUs making their way into the rack. And that's really where we started to see rack densities skyrocket, and especially some specific applications and workloads really push into to levels that were not even possible to cool with air anymore. So. Um, 
we set off to develop uh, immersion cooling technology, and that's what Subner does today. It, our flagship technology is around single phase immersion cooling. Um, essentially, that means changing the medium around the server. So instead of cooling the electronics and uh, the server components with air, we leverage a dielectric fluid, a non-conductive fluid, um, which uh, captures and transports the heat in a much more efficient way than air. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk uh, quite a lot about that. Well, so uh, we, we got the rowing history. We got the, I started a data center in my bedroom history uh, and, and ended up doing three more data centers after that. Give me a little bit of uh, where you live, your, your personal background. I, I am fascinated by that you're in Barcelona, but uh, you sound a bit like a Brit. So tell us a little bit of the personal front, if you don't mind. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm based in Barcelona. I'm actually born in Switzerland. Um, interestingly enough, my mother was working for the United Nations for some time. And um, that's where I was born. But immediately after uh, being born, my, my parents decided to go to the United Kingdom. Uh, my father is from East London. Um, and... Uh, that's where my accent came from, of course. Uh, I lived in the UK until the age of around nine. So I, I grew up in the UK. Um, but then at one stage, my, my mother said to my father, um, Steve, the food and the weather here is terrible. Can we please go back to Spain? And he did a How really in the world could she prefer the food and weather in Barcelona over London? I mean, it's lovely in London for the whole first week of July. Yeah, that's about <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a no-brainer, and I've lived in Barcelona ever since. Um, I feel uh, very, very Spanish, and specifically Catalan, from this region of the world where I sit. Um, and Barcelona is an awesome city, very... Um, forward thinking very easy to find super um great resources and candidates for uh, all the stuff that we're doing here at Subner. and um essentially it was in the summer of 2015 where it was as hot as today <laughs> so i think around 35c and um i was sitting with my co-founder paul and saying paul i was looking at the swimming pool like if we feel so much better in this swimming pool, what would happen if we stick servers into a dielectric liquid and cool them with that? And um, we started doing some initial experimentation that summer, uh, built some of the first prototypes, uh, started to test uh, some of the fluids that were available and immediately saw the benefits and the potential um the, oh, hold on, Literally, you're sitting by the pool and you decide, I like the pool better in the hot weather maybe my server will too that's how this came to you i swear literally that's it yeah that's what that's what happened holy cow <laughs> yeah because as you being a guy who was designing uh, data centers early and you, you saw not much change in the um the density of the rack you know five seven kilowatts uh, before you saw that first real jump and saw wait a minute cooling this with with air might be tough um it didn't strike you in that environment. It struck you by the pool. That's a fascinating story. I, I like you. You said earlier, Daniel, you said, hey, let's change the medium around the server. Let's not make it air. Let's make it something else. Um, 
did you think about it from a single server perspective or were you thinking about, you know, hey, I'm going to have a really dense rack and let's do it for a rack? Or did you really think, hey, this might be a way to manage an entire data center? Tell, tell me about the, those early thoughts after the pool. No, so we were looking at it from the rack level to start with. Um, we, obviously, all the first prototypes were at the server level, and I'm, I'm have, you can see tons of those photos on our website. Um, but actually, if you go onto the Wikipedia post for immersion cooling, one of our first prototypes is is on that page. Um, so we started testing the thermals at the server level and at the chip level. Um, but obviously, we we tackled the design from the rack level and how we would, how how could we deploy these new liquid cooled racks without disrupting the rest of the data hall and the rest of the data center design. Um, that was kind of the the key thinking. And now, further into this journey, we're really looking at it from the whole data center um, point of view. So. Um, what does a hybrid environment where you have low density equipment and higher density equipment look like and what benefits uh, can one of these uh, facilities leverage by, by rolling out immersion cooling? So as I think of dipping my servers in liquid, um, it makes me incredibly anxious because of three decades of worrying about the stability of my servers. Um, as, as you thought about that for the first time, th there's challenges there, right? I mean, first of all, just putting liquid around the servers scares me. But I think about the disks, I think about the plugs, I think about, you know, um, you know, IO devices, whether it's drives or thumbnails. How do you start to think through those problems and what, what do you have to do to the server to make dipping it in liquid an okay thing? So one, one of the things that surprised us um, first was when we were running these tests on the single server configurations, uh, how simple it was for a node that was designed for air to actually work in an immersion environment. So we, we didn't need to change a lot of things, and I'll, I'll go now into the, the things that do need to be um, adjusted. But... Uh, essentially, we, we we removed the fans. We made sure that the BIOS alarms weren't uh, going off when the fans were removed. And, and we didn't need to do much more. Back then, uh, in 2015, maybe SSD drives weren't as common as they are today in the server space. We can't leverage spinning disks. That's the only thing that we can't leverage in immersion. Um, the only spinning disks that can be leveraged are helium sealed drives, but a, a traditional spinning disk um, is not pressurized. It's an ambient pressure and it has a hole in it to make sure that that's always the case. So obviously through that hole, the fluid gets in and this, the, the speed at which the disk speeds is humongously reduced. And so it, it, it becomes useless. Um, but solid-state right, drives, right. NVMe, flash drives, helium sealed, they all perform perfectly in immersion. Um, when it comes to the design of the nodes, ideally, you'll be. this is a tank. It's an immersion tank. Um, so look at it as like a big deep, deep freezer kind of uh, system. And um, the, the, the biggest challenge is, was back then you can't reach the back of the rack, right? That's one of the biggest challenges for immersion, I guess. Design servers that are designed to be manipulated from the front and the back, 
um, are a substantial obstacle. So we've we've um, been leveraging some standards that are out there, like uh, the OCP systems, open compute um, systems that hyperscalers leverage. Um, in immersion, we're a platinum member for OCP um, because they they're designed to be only manipulated from one side of the rack and they have uh, even an additional benefit which is um, the power is distributed instead of through cables through bus bars through power bus bars at the rear of the rack which in our case is at the bottom of the tank and it makes it super interesting because we lose hundreds of cables in in the facility that we uh, don't need and it simplifies yeah, the rat the rat's nest goes away right yeah, yeah. But then in the 19-inch type of form factors, there's lots of servers that, that uh, can be leveraged perfectly in immersion now. The whole idea of just having everything on one side of the rack is beginning, becoming more and more common. Uh, you see it not only in OCP, but also in Open19 and in some other standards. Um, so that journey is, is um, much simpler now, I guess. So, Daniel, I, I didn't even think about that. I mean, it, you're living it every day and have for years. But the challenge of, yeah, we're, we're not doing um, liquid immersion standing up, right? I mean, you almost think about I've turned the rack on its side and I'm sliding the servers in from the top so that the fluid stays all around it, right? Because uh, otherwise, if we stood the rack up uh, vertically, right, it'd be hard to keep the fluid at the top. I got you. So I've, I've laid my rack down. I've got access from the top and I'm dipping it into the liquid from the top, like you said, a tank. It just took me a minute to think through why that why that works that way. That's correct. So, yeah, servicing yeah, so it all are, from the top instead of the backside. Got it. That's right. They're horizontal tanks. The servers are installed uh, vertically instead of horizontally, I guess. And um, yeah, and then the first question that would come to mind is, oh, then it uses up double the floor space than um, than a than a vertical rack, right? We don't we don't have the height. Uh, so one of the first questions that pops up is, okay, so then this must be lower density than a traditional data center deployment because you don't have the height. Um, that's one of the most right. common more foot, questions. More foot, physical footprint, right? Now. So, so from a from a server U perspective, maybe you do have less server use per square foot, but from a density perspective, um, the density is tenfold. So, we we are deploying today uh, immersion tanks that are in the range of 100 kilowatts, with uh, that operate with extremely warm water which means that the overall facility PUE is reduced to around 1.04, 1.05. Um, and that doesn't account for something which is really hard to um, simulate, I guess, if, if you're not used to immersion, which is you remove the fans from the systems. The very moment you remove fans from servers, you're typically reducing the IT uh, power load, um, anything between seven, even up to 15 or 20%, depending on the system design. So all that power, which yeah, is how hard those fans are working. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's considered compute in a data center because it sits inside right. of the server. Because it's inside it's the server. Compute. Right. Yeah. Right. Understood. Yeah. Considered IT load. Yeah. Not considered heat rejection. Right. 
I want to make sure I'm following something. So, so I'm taking this tank, you know, for lack of a better word, I'm laying a rack on its side. I know it's not a rack, but I mean, I've, I've physically in my mind, I've doubled the physical footprint. But instead of having a rack that's, you know, 15 uh, um, kilowatts, uh, or let's even just go with a really aggressive 20 or 30 kilowatts in the rack, I can now do 100. I might be using twice as much physical floor space, but I've got, I can cool up to 100 kilowatts in a, in a, what would be considered a, conceptually a 42u tank is that is that is that approximately right that's that's correct um and there's other substantial parts of the infrastructure that are not needed anymore like the crack units or cry units or air handling systems etc which tend to use a lot of floor space in the data center all that goes away as well so you you, we don't need to think only in the actual rack itself but all the supporting infrastructure to to cool those racks that also goes away with immersion. Right. So, so yes, if I was a completely immersion data center, I could do away with all air handling. Uh, as I think through that, that, that tank now laying down and, and having a hundred uh, kilowatts of uh, IT load in it, do I, I in a normal, um, in an air cooled data center where I have, um, you know, hot aisles and cold aisles, and I have a certain pitch, I need to have a certain distance between the front and the back, and I've got to manage that air. Uh, all of that, do, do you need any, you know, distance between the racks? Can they line up next to each other? I, I just don't think that the, I can't think of thermals impacting the air, so I guess you could stack them all right next to each other end to end. Is that is that practical other than physical access? Uh, that's that's correct, Raymond. So what we typically do is we deploy them back to back um, and side to side, which means that you end up with, let's say, islands of of, of tanks. Um, they they the, the the tanks don't dissipate. They dissipate less than one percent of the IT load into the actual data hall. So air renewal wow. is very very basic. Um, that means we're capturing essentially. 99 plus percent of the heat that the uh, IT equipment is releasing and, and transporting it uh, in that warm uh, fluid and water loop uh, subsequently. So, so Daniel, what is what what does the tank um, fluid renewal look like? Is the tank set up and it's good, or are you having to pump fluid from somewhere, or exchange the fluid, or does it happen all in the tank? Do you mind talking a little bit about it? When I think of cooling, liquid cooling, I know I'm I'm running a chilled water loop, and that's a totally different solution. But I think the water or the fluid is moving. What's happening inside the tank with that fluid as it warms up or cools down? So the design that we have here at Submer, the tanks don't have a single hole in them, which really guarantees that they're leak-free and very easy to, to, to manufacture as well. Um, the immersion fluid that sits in those tanks is just gently pushed through the IT equipment. The speed at which um, the fluid is um, controlled and pushed through the uh, equipment that's all controlled by a cooling distribution unit, a CDU that sits inside our um, immersion fluid. It has a server form factor, and it sits inside the the, the tank as well, in this like another server essentially. Um, so that that device, what it does is it makes sure that the fluid is constantly moving. 
And it also um, does the heat transfer between the immersion fluid and the water loop. So the CDU has two quick disconnect hoses that come from the water loop um, to deliver the heat from the dielectric fluid to the warm water loop. Um, the dielectric fluid does not evaporate. It's surprising. It's a fluid that doesn't evaporate. Bacteria doesn't, can't grow in it. It's non-toxic. It's biodegradable. You can drink the stuff, although it doesn't taste well. We have not worked on the flavor of it, but um, it is super safe. If it goes in your eyes, in your mouth, it's it's absolutely okay. Um, there's, there's zero risk when it comes to that. And it's not a fluid that needs to be topped up. It's designed to be truly... Um, part of the infrastructure, part of the cooling infrastructure. Wow. So okay. So the fluid doesn't uh, doesn't evaporate. Uh, it's not dangerous, uh, and and it it is, I guess, absorbing the heat from the servers, then going back towards your CDU and swapping that heat out with a water loop. Is that what I heard? Did I understand that right, Daniel? That's right. So we capture the the hot fluid at the top of the tank um, through some channels that we have that. That fluid goes into the CDU, gets uh, the heat gets exchanged to the water loop, and then we re-inject the, the cooler fluid into the bottom of the tank in an area that we call the fluid distributor, which evenly uh, distributes the fluid across the um, lower end of the tank again so that we can start, we can commence that process uh, again and again. Um, Maybe something I didn't mention, but the fluid has an expected lifespan of 15 years. So it truly is oh, a wow. piece of um, infrastructure. Yeah, it's going to outlive your servers. So, so it's got plenty of, plenty of uh, shelf life. We really refer to uh, it's a future-proof system, uh, which maybe today 100 kilowatts is a bit too much for some of the IT systems that you're rolling out. But you're investing in a piece of infrastructure that in 15 years' time will be able to dissipate 100 kilowatts from a rack. So uh, if it's not today, it will be tomorrow. All right, Daniel. So this is a really practical question. So, so I've got a server. It's sitting in a tank. It's running. Um, things go wrong with servers. Uh, it happens all the time. Um, the fact that we have no spinning components helps, but still, some so right. You, the the discs are not. A, we ne, we don't do spinning discs and we don't do fans. Two spinning components that break a lot in servers. So you've. I, I think you might actually help my mean time to failure my server by taking the spinning fans out. But I'm still going to have something break on the server. What happens when a technician comes in and his server is covered in this um, fluid? How, how do you service a machine? How, how does that? What's a technician do? How do how do data center technicians need to be trained? Because this is a totally different paradigm. Thinking about that, the server is inside a fluid now. Yeah. So so typically we we train um, data center personnel in a half a day training session to get them up to speed to be able to do the same tasks that they do in traditional racks in immersion. So it's it's not a two week course or anything like that. Um, and the process is quite simple. Uh, you just need the right tools. You will be wearing gloves and, and some goggles probably just to make sure some glass of protection goggles just to make sure that if the fluid does go into your eyes, you don't get scared and drop the server or something like that. Um, but essentially, we have maintenance rails lying on top of the tank that you can move along depending where you want to pull a server out. Then depending on the weight of the server, you'll either pull it out manually or... 
um, you'll use a server lift to lift it out and you lie it on top of these maintenance rails where you can remove whatever, replace whatever component you need to replace. And essentially you'll put the server back in. So you're not taking it away from the rack or the tank in this case. Um, the maintenance task is done immediately on top of the tank so that any dripping liquid just falls into the tank and you can you can run that process in a very clean and tidy manner. Daniel, I gotta ask a silly question. Is Do I have to pull it out of the tank and it sit for an hour to be dried? Uh, can I work on it? I mean, if it's running in with liquid on it, I can work on it with liquid on it. It doesn't have to be perfectly dry, right? I, I mean, I know that's a, a silly question, but uh, as I think through it, do I have wait time? So as I mentioned, the fluid, it, it's quite surprising because we're all used to seeing thing, fluids dry and evaporate and essentially disappear. But if you were to leave a server that you've extracted for a whole year outside of the tank, the fluid would still be in it or on it um it does not evaporate it truly does not evaporate ah. so um so you 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 pull it out and you immediately um run the maintenance on on that node uh, even with the components all soaked in the dielectric liquid um the dielectric liquid although i guess we're not used to seeing electrical components um looking like they're wet. in water <laughs> wet yeah essentially <laughs> It's it's not really it's non-conductive. It's eight eight times less conductive than air, and that's kind of the most surprising uh, initial experience that that uh, operators will have when they uh, run through this exercise. Yeah, it's it's got to be a little bit of a mind meld to go. Wait a minute, there there's liquid on my server, and it's okay. Uh, I, yeah, I'm assuming you get over it fairly quickly, but but it just seems uh, to the mind like it's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, but yeah, if it's running in liquid, you ought to be able to be maintained in liquid. That makes complete sense. And so you don't need to you know, turn it on its side and let all the fluids run out and all of that. It, you can just work on it and slide it right back in. It's a, it's a fluid which is super innocuous to the IT components. It's protecting them from dust particles, from electrically charged particles. So going back to the meantime between failures that you were referring to before, First, there's no moving parts in the system, so that already is an, a humongous improvement. But then, because you have better thermals in the systems, the components in general are, are cooled much better, and there's not this um, uh, variance between the front and the back of a rack or the bottom and the top of a rack. It's all really um, identical across the tank. And you add to that the fact that there's no dust particles, no um, electrically charged particles being blown aggressively through the, the server plane, what you, what you see in immersion is a two-thirds drop, so a 60% drop, let's say, in hardware failure rate compared to traditional deployments. So we have customers that don't touch immersion tanks in a, in, in a whole year. Um, it's quite common. Wow. So Daniel, what does a typical install look like? Does a typical install look like I've got some very um, intense workloads and I need a few tanks in my data center? Um, does the typical workload look like I've got uh, an edge deployment that I need to do cooling and I don't want to set up all the infrastructure for cooling? Or is it a full-blown data center where instead of air, I'm just doing a whole room full of tanks? What, what, what's typical for you guys or does it span, the, span all of those? 
Um, it does. It has moved a lot into Edge. Um, and if you go on our website, you'll see that we have a specific product for Edge called Micropod, which is a it's an immersion tank with an integrated dry cooler uh, on its side, designed as a ruggedized device that can be placed uh, directly outdoors. Um, we have a lot of customers in the telco space that leverage it for base stations and edge infrastructure, but also customers in the industry 4.0 space that deploy these compute racks on the factory floor to manage their robotic platforms and things like that. So it's um, it's it's edge infrastructure where you don't either you need to protect the IT equipment from a harsh environment or um you don't want to build the whole infrastructure but and on the other side of the spectrum um our most common deployments are um it's the smart pod platform so it's this bigger 45u immersion tank um tens of them in a data hall um we don't believe that um data halls or data centers let's say will be a hundred percent immersion but a lot of our customers today are, are building for a scenario of 80, 90% in immersion and 10% in air. And that's obviously, there's, there's always going to be lower density equipment. that uh, There's no justification to put it into immersion. So they'll just have, they'll split the data hall. They'll have, um, they, they'll have a small area which is cooled by air and where they have their routing equipment and their own legacy systems as 400 you name it and then they'll try and build a hyperconverged type of infrastructure where they can just replicate this tank design which has a lot of hyperconverged compute and some high um, high speed networking equipment and replicate that building block n number of times so I'm going to ask a, a weird technical question. In that hybrid environment where I've got some legacy equipment, could I take servers and put them in a tank and run a disk subsystem that is spinning drives next to it and connect to those servers? Is that is that doable? Is there a backplane or a way to connect the tank to traditional spinning disks that aren't submerged? Yeah, so, so the tank, it's designed as a rack to the extent that you can even, we have an area called a dry zone, which is either where we, if we're using standard 19-inch equipment, we'll deploy the power distribution units there, the typical zero-U rack PDUs that um, we'll, we'll deploy those right. horizontally on the side of the tank. We have customers that um, they typically deploy the top of the rack switch in the immersion tank as well, but customers that choose to deploy it on the dry zone. So there's a dry zone on each side of the tank that can be leveraged for this. And it's also leveraged for cable management. So getting cables in and out of the tank towards uh, the standard uh, rack infrastructure where they need to connect the uh, immersion tanks to. So a lot of the customers, the uplinks are sitting in the air-cooled, uh, go to the air-cooled portion of the data center where they have their um, core distribution switches and Cisco routers and so on. Um, and the immersion tanks are designed in a way that when you put them one next to another um, and back to back, they have latches to allow you to communicate cabling between them and interconnect tanks and so on. Well, Dan, you're sitting by the pool at a 35C day and you say, boy, my, I like it here. My servers might like it here. So, so I get how the inspiration came about and, and let me cool my server in an efficient way in the data center. But as I think about where our industry is headed and, and the 
talk about um, the data center industry being responsible uh, about its power consumption and as the world continues to digitize, uh, what percentage of the planet's energy uh, do we use to, to power all these servers? Um, so much of that is cooling. Um, I, I can see a, um, a massive advantage from a power consumption perspective uh, for, sub for, for submerging your servers. Could you just take a little bit of uh, time and tell us you know, how you see this from a, from a um, global uh, environmental perspective, how submerging servers can change what's outside the data center, not just what's inside the rack? Absolutely, yes. So um, the first thing is, is actually floor space. So we're talking about a reduction typically in the range of one-tenth of the floor space that's required. That's the level of density that we tend to see in the new designs. Um, so that's the first, I guess, humongous benefit when it comes to how much, um, how many millions of square feet we need for, for these data centers. Um, and that includes, that's also because there's a lot of these components, as I mentioned, inside the data hall or around the data hall that we don't need anymore. Um, when it comes to the uh, infrastructure that sits outside, um, well, so so immersion cooling will typically eliminate or reduce the PUEs I mentioned to something in the range of 1.03, 1.05, approximately. That's where it tends to be. Um, that means that you're it's slashing by 60, 70, 80 percent the typical data center PUEs that are out there. Um, so that's the immediate benefit of deploying immersion cooling. Um, plus, you have to consider this uh, humongous reduction in the power consumption from the IT side of things. So as you come, as you, as you transfer infrastructure into immersion um, from your from all the cooling capacity that you're freeing up and the fan capacity that has. Mean being made available by removing the fans, you end up with a much bigger IT load, critical IT available IT load versus the cooling infrastructure. Um, what we think is super is really exciting, apart from the PUE, of course, is that all this energy is now captured in a warm water uh, system, and that warm water system today is operating at probably something in the range of 100C, but we're working towards making sure that it operates in the range of um, 120C or 130C, uh, sorry, 120F, 130F. Um, that's where we are today. And we're on the journey of getting that up to uh, 160 Fahrenheit, 170 Fahrenheit. And when you have water in that temperature range you can do some very exciting things like um, deliver it to a district heating system which is quite common here in europe and we're seeing more and more of that happening but you can also enter into kind of symbiotic relationships with your vicinity facilities and neighbors uh, on supplying them with energy with with this warm water transferring to uh, business parks or industrial parks. Um, we believe that at Summer, we're convinced that the future uh, data center site selection, the prime, the, the primary criteria for selection will be um, the uh, energy monetization rate or factor. So 
people will start selecting sites based on uh, a new capability in their data center, which is just going to destroy all the TCO models that are out there and that everyone's designing against today. It'll stop being how much do I pay per kilowatt, but how much can I sell my thermal per kilowatt? Turning that whole equation on its head. Today, it's megawatts, hundreds and thousands of megawatts hour that are just getting released into ambient air. And uh, that's something that will have or has today the potential to to be monetized. Um, and here in Europe, there be uh, there, there's some really aggressive policies to push data centers in that direction and really start thinking about these type of implementations. The technology to do that is now available um, in in the temperature range, which is directly ready to be plugged into uh, the the new district heating systems that are being built. Um, so we we believe this it's super exciting times for the data center industry and. It's an opportunity to transition from being a burden for the society and, and your neighbors to be in an actual benefit and, and really um, allowing the data center industry to be seen in a completely different way as a, as a power and energy supplier to, to, to the community. All right, so uh, the the future is bright and it's submerged. How about that, Daniel? Absolutely. Um, so so let's 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 close this up. Born in Zurich, grew up in London, live in Barcelona. Um, who? Which football club do you support? I mean, this has got to be oh, a challenge for you. Uh, that's a no-brainer. It's obviously football club Barcelona. Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Very good. Well, Daniel, this has been great. Uh, I'm uh, super fascinated. Uh, it's still hard for me to wrap my head around components that are wet, but uh, uh, glad that you guys have figured out a way to do it and, and love to see where the future goes with Submerged and how uh, much it changes the data center industry as we think about how we're uh, burning up megawatts all over the planet. How do we do it in a more uh, environmentally friendly way? been super great to have you. Really, really grateful that uh, you spent the time with us and um, Look forward to seeing where things go for you and Submer. Thank you, Raymond. Always a pleasure. Stay safe. Thank you, Dan. Take care, bud.